Welcome to the Ozark United Methodist Church podcast companion sermon series for, we have to come up with a shorter name for that, guys, <laughs> for Thursday, February the 13th. My name is Joey Mills, and joining me today in the room I've got Pastor Jacob Schneider. This is Brad Tummins. This is Mike Randall. And this week we are talking about, we're continuing to talk about Pastor Schneider's uh, The Upside Down Kingdom sermon series. And we're reflecting on last week's sermon, uh, which came to us from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 20, talking about how sometimes the religious among us, including ourselves, just don't get it. Get what this whole living for Christ thing is all about. Before we begin, would anybody like to open up in a word of prayer? Nose goes. (laughs) (laughs) Jake, you're getting it. (laughs) Slow on the uptake. That's all right. (laughs) Holy God, we praise you for this day and this opportunity to gather together in a holy conversation. We pray you would bless it and that your spirit would just be present and we would uh, just know it. Uh, but God, enter into our midst, guide our conversation, help us to grow in our knowledge and love of you. All of this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 So, Mike, let's get salty. Let's start the discussion sure, with last week's sermon. Salty. So, you know, let's start this discussion off and talk about, you know, in the Greek, you know, it's talking about you and that, the, that Christ uses us and is translated you and only you, you know, and how does that really play into us as individuals? You know, how do we make this personal to us? Right. Yeah. Because when I think of that, we hear, you know, you are the light of the world. It's like, okay, well, he was clearly talking to everybody, somebody else. Everybody yeah. but me. Yeah. You are the salt. You are the city on the hill. But yeah, knowing the, the Greek translation, the word you that's used, uh, at least in the written gospels, um, is you is best translated as you and only you and specifically you. If you could imagine Jesus pointing a finger directly at you and saying you are to be the salt, the light, the, the city on the hill, it's it, it, I think it makes it more personal. You can't shrug it off and put it on no, the rest can't. of the crowd. I, I I think that's one of the interesting things about uh, the Greek here, because you know, you and only you, I think can also mean y'all and only y'all. Right. Um, mm. Speaking to the crowd, so I I think that just brings out it, it makes perfect. I I I will love to see where this conversation goes, talking about what this means for you, you as an individual. And y'all, meaning us as a body. So, yeah. Yeah, and I know that, you know, the Greek, you know, it's really talking, it's a personal pronoun, and, mm-hmm. you know, really pointing at the audience that he's talking to. You as an individual, not you as a church, but he's getting very personal here to mm-hmm. the, the crowd that he's yep. talking to. Yep. You know, um, so we are called to come into contact with the world. But how do we take Christ out of the church and into our communities in context to being the salt to the earth? You know what I mean? I mean, looking at the word salt and, you know, knowing what, you know, you know, what salt is all about. It's to give flavor and it's also preservation. You know, it's I think it's twofold that it's talking here. It's talking about that, you know, that we not only have this ability um, and a responsibility as followers of Christ to be flavorful and to, you know, be that thing that causes people to want to draw to Christ, mm-hmm. you know, but also there's a, you know, persevering uh, preservation of ourselves, you know, of making sure that we're seeking holiness inside that thoughts. 
Yeah, when I think, you know, enhancing flavor, you know, to me that it speaks to, it's really simple to sit in a church on Sundays and get an almost tribal mentality of it's us against the world. It's us against our culture. And it's not, we're not against the world. We're not against our culture. We're meant to go out and find the things that are beautiful and point them out and to preserve them and to, you know, again, we talk about enhancing flavor. You know, it's one thing to sit in the same church every Sunday, but when you travel, if you get a chance to travel on a Sunday and attend another mm-hmm. church, you find other ways that people are doing the exact same thing that we're all doing. The way the body of Christ is is celebrating and worshiping and praising on a Sunday, I think to me that's a, the part of the saltiness that really speaks to me is that, you know, if there's 7 billion people on this planet, there are 7 billion different ways that God is at work in lives of human beings and to find those unique cultures and flavors and ways that God's working in the communities. To me, that's, and and preserving that so it doesn't mm-hmm. all kind of get steamrolled and become one brand, one flavorless flavor of Christianity. To me, that's the part that I took out of the saltiness that that really kind of drove it home with me, I think. I, th- I think that's important. I, I think about this. I think about how culturally, typically in the last, you know, historically for the last number of decades or <laughs> century, whatever. Um, typically, our approach to the world has been to just kind of like slap a cross on it. Uh, I, th- I think about, I have a good friend whose mother is a an artist, and she loves to paint, she loves painting all manner of things, but she does specifically Christian art. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 my friend, he has this one painting that she did is of a tree, this beautiful tree, but she decided to hide little crosses in all the tree. Now. Right. And so now it's a Christian tree, right? As, as, as in God's tree. Right, as exactly. A Christian tree. God's creation <laughs> isn't beautiful enough. But per, to preserve things as they are, as they've been created, uh, to enhance the, the flavor of all that God's created, um, I think that has to be our approach. You know, and I think slapping a cross on it, you know, a you know, song becomes a Christian song when it, when we change a lyric or two. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. um, but why can't that just be a, an expression of God's gifts and just beauty in and of itself, an expression of uh, God's presence? So, yeah. You know, I mean, not to muddy the water either. I mean, it, it makes me think back to Paul in Colossians 3 and 17, mm-hmm. you know, when he's talking about everything in word and deed, you know, that some of our existence as a follower of Christ is not just in who we worship, but it's also in what we're doing to those around us, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I like to cook and everything. You know, I remember when me and Heather were dating and I went over to her parents' house for dinner one night and it was probably the worst meal I've ever had in my life. Um, Are you sure you want to say that? This is recorded. But it was not Heather who cooked it. I will say that. Um, she's a fabulous cook. But my mother-in-law didn't use any salt in the food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, salt by nature doesn't have a flavor. It's an enhancement. It brings out the flavor that is existing already there. You know, and I think when Christ is sitting there saying, you know, you're to be the salt of the earth. You're to bring out the flavor that is already there. You know, 
in the body of Christ and those that are around you, you know, bring out the good things that are in those people because you are my follower. Well, besides getting some brownie points, <laughs> kiss up points uh, there. Uh, the one of the things that I kind of took out or wanted to talk a little bit about is not so much the enhancement, but in the verse, I mean, in the in the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about what happens when salt isn't any good it when it's flavor. not when it, it loses, loses its saltiness. Flavor. It loses its saltiness, you know, and that's one of the things, you know. Mike was kind of saying it's horrible. You know, if you think of a meal where you've had that has like it's just really bland or really bleh, you're like, oh, whatever. But how does that apply to the live? I mean, our lives and our ministries out and and our missions out in the world when when we're just going through the motions, right? You know, we've lost our saltiness. You know, and I think we see. I, I feel like we see more of that nowadays, and maybe that's just because it's so much in your face with social media and things like that. But I don't know. Yeah, I think you know, salt whenever it loses its saltiness, just just another rock amongst all the other rocks. And I think we just become another, you know, organization amongst all the other organizations or individuals amongst all the other individuals. Um, you know, without mm-hmm. adding anything to. And and if we as the the church, the body of Christ, lose our saltiness, what do we have to offer anybody mm. if they walk in the door for the first time? Mm. If we're not, if we don't have that, then what do we have? Why mm. should they be here? Yeah, you know, it's just like when you put salt on your sidewalk in your driveway. Yeah, I mean, when it disappears, it the effectiveness of it is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so when we allow it to diminish out of our life, yeah, I mean, and not have that impact on people. Here, guys, here's a bowl of gruel. That's no <laughs> taste. That's not what we want. No, no. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, continuing on, you know, practically speaking with, uh, you know, here at Ozark United you know, Methodist, you know, being the salt to the world and enhancing the flavor, what is good in our community? I think that this community historically has had a strong attachment to its rural agricultural roots. There is a, um, you know, for those who are fairly new to the area, even a few decades ago, this was mostly a small, I mean, yes, there are big churches, but everything had a small town feel. Everything Mm -hmm. had the schools felt small. You knew everybody in your graduating class. Mm -hmm. The churches, while there were still bigger churches, as will happen, it all still felt small. Um, reading, you know, some social sciences and stuff, that there's an idea that we have our brains have developed to be able to really know about 150 people. Uh, that's kind of the cap. If you get more than 150 people working in a plant, you ca- they kind of just become faces in the line. You know, mm-hmm. a congregation of our size. You know. About 150 people is about what you know, and then there's a few people that you recognize, but you don't really know them. You can't. Hey, we don't have the. Yeah. Hey, you're, you. you must be first service. Yeah, yeah. I don't know your name, uh, but yeah, we can't really connect beyond more than that. It's just something that we're not. Our brains aren't, you know, capable of doing. Um, and so I think that as this community has grown, has exploded in the last few decades, um, there is a. Bit of, I don't want to call it conflict because that's not the right term, but there is a 
there is a segment of the population that's still trying to hold on to that small town feel while there is a segment of the population that is growing exponentially at times, especially like now at times of economic upturn. Um, so I think that being able to walk that line and be able to celebrate both is a good thing. It's something that as you know, this church, to be able to reach out to a rural congregation and our rural neighbors who aren't attached to any church, even mm -hmm. our church, as well as being able to appeal to, you know, the folks that are moving into the, you know, brand new to the neighborhood or brand new to the apartment complex or whatever the case is. I think it's, it, you know, there is good in both and we should be, be able to reach out to and connect with both the best that we possibly can. Yeah. Well, and I, being new to the, to the area, relatively new to the area, um, I, I see that, you know, it's, it's, it's readily visible. Um, and with that, I, I think comes a, a level of connection that you don't experience in other places, places I've been, or, you know, places I came from most recently. Um, and so there is an opportunity there, I think, to establish those relationships and those connections. Um, you know, where this sermon series is going next week, we're going to be talking about just that. Because um, that's where Jesus goes with the Sermon on the Mount. It goes straight to relationships and how to live this salt light sitting on a hill stuff out. Um, so yeah, so I see you know the broader Ozark area community uh, as being just ripe for establishing those relationships, those connections. Yeah, I mean, and when I look at this, you know, th this passage always convinces me. Mm -hmm. It just convicts me as a person, um, because it's you know, just you're a light to the world. You're a light of the world, you know. And you know, thinking of being in pitch blackness, but the moment that a light is is lit, all of a sudden, all eyes draw attention to it, you know. And just the, the, the it's not a command from Christ, but it, but it is very commanding, mm -hmm. you know, in your life to say, <clears throat> you're a light of the world, and you can't hide your light. You have to let it shine before all men, and you have to let all men see your, your good deeds because it brings glory to your Father in heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, I'm sitting pondering on that and pondering about, what does that mean with my neighbors? What does that mean with my coworkers? When I'm frustrated at work and there's nothing I want to do to help anybody, you know, mm -hmm. it's like Christ is telling me to be a light because I may be the only, only light that they see in their entire day. And because I chose to follow him, my job is to be that way, and um, you know, and it's it's the simple things. Like I mean, I think a lot of times we can think, oh, we need to do these grandiose yes. things in order to to show the light of Christ. But it's the simple thing of, oh, I know my neighbor's sick. I'm gonna put the trash can back next to the house. It seems so simple, but it's it's the fact that. There's that thoughtfulness. There's that kindness. There's a that there's virtues that that you have with Christ, you know, 
um, going back to the fruits of the spirit, you know, they're yeah. evident in your life, you know, right. your coworkers, you know, like not dismissing them, you know, in the way that, I mean, even in the way that you talk to them, you know, even if you're frustrated. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that a lot because I, I know that that's the question that pops up most. I think, like, how do we live this out? Like, what do we do to actually live this out? Um, and, you know, to your point, I think it's perfect. Those ordinary situations in life, we want to, I think we want to complicate it too much. And it's really quite simple, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think what Christ is calling us to be is kind of extraordinary people in the midst of the most ordinary of situations that we encounter, um, going above and beyond. I think a lot about the grocery store when I think about this because it's one of my <laughs> most... Where you love to hang out yeah, on your free time. It is my least favorite place to go, uh, I think. Um, but it because of that, it forces me to think more about how I'm acting, what I'm doing. Uh, and so there, there was a time in my life where I forced myself to stand in the absolute longest line at the checkout counter, the longest checkout line, um, to teach myself patience for one, but also to facilitate an opportunity to actually spark conversation possibly with the person in front of me um, or, or to allow someone else in front of me in this huge long line uh, because they're just as exasperated as I am at, you know, at all this mess. But um, just the simplest things, this, the most ordinary situations, being able to live out the love of Christ. I mean, that's simply all it is. It's funny that you bring up the whole grocery store thing because it was probably about four or five years ago I heard a sermon <clears throat> talking about our rushed life that we have and how, and he, he harped on the whole thing of not putting your shopping cart back in the shopping cart carol out in the parking lot. And I'm Elise like, has got a great fix for that. Yeah, they got a great life. fix. Yes, they do. And I was like, ouch. You know what I mean? Because I'm the person that was like, yeah, just put it in front of my car and I'll back out and leave or pop it up in the grass. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, I need to get going. But then I started thinking about that. I'm like, okay, my rushness is causing somebody else irritation and even though I'm not even gonna talk to that person you know am I causing that person to get mad and cuss and just you know just you know get down on his day you know or her day and that's not what I'm called to do I'm called to so even in the simple thing you know I mean of putting my shopping cart back where it should go you know I mean well, and I think you hit on a really good point, Mike, is that while the easiest, smallest things that we can do are, are kind of what I feel like we're being called to do here, when we don't do that and we're shining our dark light, I'll call it for lack of a better term, out there, it impacts people. And it really, I mean, it really does. And it puts that impression on people. Oh, well, he's a Christian and he left his cart there in front of the car and blocked this parking spot and the only parking spot at set me in at 9 a.m. at Sam's parking lot you know that that has a you, I think a lot of times people don't think about that your actions while good reflect that light of Christ your actions when you are selfish and and self-centered reflect that way I mean reflect that too and 
personally, I feel like it kind of gives a lot of Christianity a bad name. Oh, well, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites and things like that because you talk about this stuff all day, but you don't actually do it. Yeah, you know? they, was, they said the, the greatest threat to the church is the church not <laughs> acting like the church. Yep. Well, we did have a question uh, emailed to us. Again, you can send us your emails or on social media, however, if you have questions. The question this week that we got, and I'll quote it and read it here exactly as it was written. As I pondered the message from Sunday this morning, the how is what lingers. The faith with works idea. I cannot expect the world to change if I don't share the gospel of Christ and love of Christ. So in a world so divided, it is an election year. That's not in there. Sorry. I just threw that in. How do we do that when we are up against someone who's combative, who sees things completely the opposite of me, or when it gets to name-calling and such? How do we Christians respond? And I think the, the general consensus of what we've been saying is, you know, Christ chose a light. And specifically, he's talking to a group of people that are used to oil, lamps, candles. A light doesn't make a sound if you're talking in terms of, you know, you're a light. Mm-hmm. And, and using the, the metaphor that Christ was using, it's not in what you say. We tend to want to either make it a grandiose action, look what I did for you for Christ, or we want to, or we don't want to, but we think in terms of getting on our soapbox and preaching at, as opposed to talking to and having a relationship with people. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's the actions, like we just have been saying. Mm-hmm. It's it's how you conduct yourself on a daily basis. If somebody, if you are approaching someone who, whatever the topic is, approaching it from a different perspective than you are, and they have come to a different place in their life about that particular topic, if you are approaching them from a place of care, a place of love, a place of, you know, we may not agree, but I still care about you as a person. I still want the best for you. If you are showing the love of Christ. You don't have to do a whole lot to tell it. That opportunity to tell will come when they approach you and say, you know, what is it? I'm having an issue with this. What is it that you know that can help me through this? Or, or hey, I want a little bit of what you got. What is it that allows you to walk in here caring about the people who, you know, every day at work, they're parking in your spot. Or mm-hmm. to care about the person at the grocery store that left the cart in the only space that was available and it's raining and it's cold, you know. Yeah, I, I think about, you know, the overarching kind of theme that runs through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, it's, about, it's a call to righteousness. And in Matthew's Gospel, there is somewhat of an emphasis on uh, righteousness, holiness of life, how we live uh, this life of righteousness. Uh, but it's clear that as Jesus goes further into the Sermon on the Mount, that that life lived uh, out in the world begins with a... a holiness of heart uh, so mu- many of the commands that Jesus is giving of course they're relational they have to do with uh, how we interact with other people but it requires a change of us you know it starts with us mm-hmm. how um, not to go too deep into what we're going to be talking about next week but you sneak know, peek <laughs> yes some of the commands spoilers. That, yeah we'll get some spoilers uh, but some of the commands that Jesus gives there are six in particular in this next section that deal their relational commands uh, but one of them's he's, he's taken the Old Testament law saying you've heard that it was said but I say to you um, so he's taking it deeper he's getting to the spirit of the law what the law intended 
And, you know, you've heard of it, that it was said, you know, do not murder. I say to you, anyone who's angry with their brother or sister is, you know, um, so he, he takes it that next step. And, and so this requires us to um, approach relationships, uh, not in a checklist kind of manner, but look at look within, look at ourselves. Am I harboring anger? If I'm harboring anger, um, that's you know condemnable in, in Jesus Jesus words and Jesus eyes. Uh, but you know if if you know I can't say bad things to another person if if I'm not harboring anger. If they, you know if I'm holding on to that anger, that's going to be the root cause of any wrongdoing. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right? How do you not murder by not being angry enough to murder in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I, th I think that's, you know, that's where it has to begin. Um, it's looking at our, ourselves, you know, are, are we living a life of righteousness, a life of holiness? Um, and if we're living into that, if we're focusing on being faithful, following Jesus, um, throwing off some of these things that hinder, our light will, will be shining without us having to, like, actually take step A, B, or C to do it. So... Yeah. Yeah, you know, kind of thinking about this question, you know, it asks how do we respond as Christians, and not to be cliche about it, but I, I keep thinking of the the bracelets that I had when I was a kid. The <laughs> what would Jesus do? Right. You know, it's easy uh, from a human perspective to rise to the anger and match someone tit for tat, shout for shout. You know, and then I step back and you you think about it and like, man, I feel ashamed for doing that. Because, you know, think think about think about what Christ did when he was in front of Pilate and being condemned in front of the Pharisees. He wasn't fighting back and screaming and yelling and stuff like that. He was being, I mean, he was humble. He was showing them what it was what it was really like to be, I mean, to live in the, the kingdom. Right. And so, you know, like I said, I don't want to be cliche about it, but I also think it's a the, the example we should be using. Right. You know, so. I always, uh, you know, my mom always used to tell me, you know, first you pray that God changes you. Mm -hmm. Then you pray that God changes them. Yeah. And then you pray that God puts you both back together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was always key there. You know, the first change that has happened is me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? God, how do I change? You know, and then also how do I pr pray for that person? You know I mean? Just. Not, not that they change, but pray that God blesses them, that God, you know, works in their life and answers their prayers that are heavy on their heart because we may not know what is actually going on in their life that's causing whatever to happen. And our ultimately our job is to uphold our brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. Yeah. Absolutely. That's well, let us know your thoughts, your questions, the way that God is moving you as it relates to how sometimes even those who consider themselves the most religious among us just don't quite get it. You can hit us up on social media at OzarkUMC on Facebook and Twitter, or you can email us your questions to podcast at OzarkUMC.org. We're going to come right back. Uh, Brad has prepared a devotional for us related to these topics, how we can be the salt and the light and the beacon of hope in our community right after this short break.
All right, so let's take our discussion of how we are to be the salt, the light, and the beacon of hope for our community a step further. Brad, what have you got for us? So, um, guys, I was, I was thinking back, you know, as I was kind of reflecting on the sermon this week and and thinking back, you know, uh, you know, I think back to the time when it was a ye- wee young whippersnapper or whatever, you know, and the thing that really kind of stuck with me or popped out to me was the song I think we all sang when we were little kids in Sunday school or in Bible school, this little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, being that beacon of light out there. And if we're really that beacon of light out in the world, showing the goodness of what um, God has created, the, the goodness of his kingdom here on earth. Um, as we talk about the goodness of, uh, you know, of, of what, what what he's done for us and and i just kind of think about or kind of think from that song you know how you know kind of taking a state step back and thinking about it from you know how how do we do that how do we take that out there you know we talked a little bit about it already tonight but you know uh, you we do, i i think sometimes we find ourselves hiding our light under a bushel basket i know i find myself that happening from time to time and so what I kind of wanted to do is roundtable this just a little bit. Just think about how do we keep from putting our light under that bushel basket, you know, and 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 how it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be, you know, like we've talked about tonight, monumental by any means. But how do we do that? You know, how, how can I take that light and shine it in a way that is that is pleasing to God, you know, and so I don't know. I just kind of want to throw it around, you know, a little bit here. I, I, yeah, it's it's interesting because with the song, if you just listen to the lyrics. By the way, we're going to sing this all here in just a little bit. Here, so <laughs> you're leading us. Right? I'll, I'll lead. Yeah, yeah. So you, the only one here on the choir, so you will get the lead. Um, when I think about the song, yeah, you know, it, it makes hiding your light sound like an active thing, and I don't think most of the time it is active for us. I mean, there are times, I'm sure, we've all had a moment where we've actively hidden our light. I can't immediately think of anything, but I'm sure, I, I you never say never, I'm sure it's happened. But yeah, I don't think that most of the time when our light's not shining, it's not because we're hiding it under a basket. It's because it's not shining because we have, you know, to use a metaphor, you know, we're to empty ourselves. So if you think of yourself, if you empty yourself, you're still there. You're, but you become transparent or translucent. Something else has to fill you up, and that's what the light is meant to do: is to shine from within you to illuminate the rest of the world. When we are, our light's not shining. It's not so much that the light quit shining; it's that we put more of ourself back in we become you become the bushel basket we become the basket and so it's not that the light's not shining as much as that we're not emptying ourselves and allowing the light to shine through us it's we we become focused on ourselves in that moment as opposed to focused on the light or focused on those around us who are in need or who are looking to us to be the example that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. Um, I don't know how much I'd have to add to that. Um, well, that's going to wrap it up then. Yeah. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I think you're exactly right. And you know, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. Was, you didn't know it was going to put you. On the spot <laughs> you took me down this this trail. And so yeah, I was trying to process yeah. it. Um, 
So, Mike, if you want to jump in. I think for, I think for me, I think just hearing you talk, Joey, I started thinking about myself as a person. Yeah, I mean, some of my biggest conviction persons in my life are my children mm-hmm. because they emulate my behaviors, mm-hmm. you know, and even, you know, when it comes to driving, I do not like being behind a slow person. I do not like being cut off. Um, and, you know, I'll be like, what the heck are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, you know, fussing somebody out, you know. And Colin goes, Dad, you don't know if that person's having a bad day. Thank you, Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. for using my son to convict me in this moment. You know what I mean? And I'm not letting my light shine to my children. I'm not showing them Christ. And when you were talking, Joey, it really brought me back to the thought of when we're, we do it to ourselves to not let our light shine, and it comes from selfish motivation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and being selfish in that moment while I'm driving, I'm being selfish in these different, I don't have time to deal with this person, I don't have time to deal with this, I'm going to just drive by the homeless person because they probably don't really need the money. You know what I mean? And I've got my own agenda. I'm heading to the mall because Bath and Body's got a great deal going on, you know, or, you know, whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's selfish motivation on my on my side of not letting my light shine. I, I'm personally snuffing it out, mm-hmm. you know. And that's where, you know, when you're talking, it just made me, that's where I was going. I was cycling through, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess that's what I latch on to. Just having the eyes to see other people or, you know, look beyond ourselves. Um, and then it's like, how do we do that? Um, we're going to be digging into that next week. No spoilers so, again. Spoilers. So just, just keep you on your head, on the edge of your seat. But, uh, no, I think it's that that is a, a process. I mean, it's such a process. I... I think just some of my background, when I decided to follow Christ, my whole worldview changed, everything changed, my mindset changed. Um, I started seeing the world differently, seeing other people differently. Um, but I'm not there yet, right? I mean, I'm like, I have a long, long way to go. Um, so, I mean, it's this process of continually attending to what Christ has given us, the means that Christ has given us, um, gathering together. Um, with brothers and sisters doing this, having holy conversation, worshiping together, all these, getting in the scripture, is praying for one another. Um, mm-hmm. All of these things over time train us to have the eyes to see people around us, the eyes of Christ, the mind of Christ. Well, and again, to extend the metaphor, if you're going to see other people the way Christ sees them, you've got to have that light. And if there's no other light in that darkness, then that light has to come from you. Yeah. You know, And you can't keep your light going yeah. if you're not feeding it. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. a fire doesn't get bigger if it's not being fed with fuel and oxygen. You know, and so, you know, I mean, it's like you said, Pastor Jacob, you know, these holy conversations and being involved in small groups. You know I mean, where you have people that iron sharpening iron, you know, and being real and truthful, you know, with fellow followers of Christ, you know what I mean? And allowing people to have that voice in your life, you know what I mean? 
mm-hmm. to say, hey, that wasn't Christ-like. That wasn't letting your light shine. You know, but even then, if it's your child. Even, even if it's yeah. your child. But allowing them to have that permission to say that to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's you have to give someone that permission to be able to speak that life into you. You know, and... Um, you then, know. then you got to ask yourself that question. Are you being that honest with other people, too? Right. You know, uh, I, I kind of step back and I think about, you know, sometimes I feel like you're trying to be that light for all those other people out there. And then when I get home because I'm frustrated or <laughs> whatever tired, else, I'm yeah. tired, I've been doing all this, uh, it turns off. And I was told I was told this week I talk too sternly sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's a whole different story. But it does make you step back and take stock a little bit. Hey, in Am I being the right example for my kids? And am I being the I mean, I try my best all day when I'm out in the world, but the most important I means some some of the most important people that I need to be sharing that light with are right at home. And uh, you know, it's it's a tough question, and it's it makes you makes you step back and take pause, or makes me take pause sometimes. So, and this will be again with it being an election year this will be the year Mm -hmm. where there will be loud voices shouting at all of us from multiple directions and to be that calm and compassionate and christ-like figure that can de-escalate a situation or that can say you know what we don't see eye to eye but that's okay how's you know how are you doing what what do you need from me to you know to help make your life better i think that if we're challenging ourselves in 2020, I think the challenge is pretty obvious and outside of our control. This is what's going to happen in this community, in this country this year. How can we be the church this year? I think it's that this culture of com- caring and compassion. Yeah, being the light. Yep. Well, very good. Well, guys, I think we should probably start wrapping this thing up because I was told by a. Uh, by a credible source that we should probably wrap this a little sooner this week. So join us this Sunday. Again, Pastor Jacob is going to continue the Upside Down Kingdom sermon series. You've had a couple spoilers, a couple hints about what this sermon might be about this coming week. Uh, you can catch that at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Directions to the Ozark United Methodist Church and more can be found on our website at ozarkumc.org. Find the service time that works best for you and join us this Sunday. We look forward not only to worshiping with you, but to creating a connection with you and to finding people who are here to be cared for and to worship with you know, followers of Christ. So for Pastor Jacob, for Brad, for Mike, I'm Joey Mills. May the peace of Christ be with you this week. We hope to see you back here on Sunday.